It's February 6, 2024, and you're listening to the Beer Temple Podcast. Remember this is what we wanted. Remember this is what we said. To never be heard or seen from again, 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 again. Remember this is what we wanted. Remember this is what we said. To never be heard or seen from again, 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 again. Welcome to the Beer Temple Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chris Quinn. Amazing fade. Amazing <sighs> job on the mute switches. Wow. That was Crushing one of the it. best. One of the best. You know when you have a true pro? A true pro. Sometimes I pretend like I can uh, you did great trick people. Week. Yeah. No one would have known. But really, there's no... There's no comparison to the to an actual fade master mm-hmm. behind the uh, it's the real the thing. slides. Yeah. It's vinyl. Yeah. So I am your co-host. No sample rate. And uh, my name is is Chris Quinn. And, and who are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm Mike Shalau. And you're also a co-host. Yep. Cool. That's, that's correct. Yeah. So, you did tell me at the best performing show in a, in a while. I was not on, though, so maybe I should, I should resign. <laughs> but there's still one in the can, so we have to see. Maybe that one will perform even better. Maybe we're just hey. up into the right forever. Yeah. Volatile, though. We're dusting. <laughs> we're dusting. Yeah. Just always up and to the right. So... Um. Yeah, I guess the uh, the show, uh, uh, the the roundtable show with um, uh, Tom from from Goldfinger. Um, I guess is it's charting is what I've heard with a with a C, not an S. Um, <laughs> yeah, you pronounce the C. I don't oh, think okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, my bad. It. My bad. <laughs> you got it. Just want to make sure. Um. But uh, but yeah so, um, but I'm I'm interested to see how our art illustration, uh, graphic design, murderers row, the murderers row of of, of art, of cool people of that we tricked. Of, yes, continues today. We do have some. We have two people that I consider cool. Now I have told people, and this is the truth, uh, that as soon as I think something is cool, it is no longer cool. Mm-hmm. So it might have been. That's why cold IPA is doing so. Yeah, well. the kiss of death yeah. on the coolness. As soon as you accept it, it will be over. Right. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> You're doing everyone a favor. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, You're a real martyr. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some new beer styles mm-hmm. that I'm really into: milkshake IPAs. <laughs> new. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for me. <laughs> yeah. New to me. You just discovered them. Yeah. But we're doing a, a roundtable um, today. I think we should get right into it. But before we do. <laughs> I want to mention uh, our our book club That's right. that we have coming up. Exciting book club. Yeah, I had three people at our uh, Winterfest event over the weekend come up and talk to me about how much they enjoyed uh, the book, Hops and hey, Glory. Hey, let's go. Yeah. yeah, they said they really liked it. Uh, one just had finished it. Um, so on February 20th, we're going to be sitting down with the author Pete Brown mm-hmm. uh, to talk about the book. So if you haven't already, go out there and read it and you can send in any questions that you have. Two. There are three copies. Oh, yeah. In Well, hold on. There are three Sorry. copies in the shop. 
that I'm about to make a sign for, I swear. <laughs> and You just got them, right? I mean, come on, man. <laughs> you, you, wanted, you said to do it. You said to do it. I mean... You're, feel free to make a sign. Far be it from me post. that you should sell the book we're going to talk about in the yes. store that you own. I know. I know. What's the point of this podcast? Are we supposed to be promoting right. stuff? What is this? Right. Right. Um, so, just vibes. Yeah, just vibes. Yeah, good hangs. Um, so, yeah. So, that'll be on February 20th. If you have questions, comments for the author, um, it's insiders at craftbeertemple.com. Or if you want to send a handwritten letter to the author. That would be a first, I believe. And you'd send that to uh, here at the Beer Temple. The address is in the, the show notes. So Sounds wherever like a, you listen. A parchment, maybe? That would be like something that would have been on the ship yep. with the cask of IPA? That would be pretty cool. A rolled-up scroll, perhaps, mm-hmm. in a bottle? In a bottle. That's the, that's the third option. Yeah, message in a bottle. Uh-huh. It'll make its way through the wherever you are, through Lake Michigan. Yeah. It'll well, get to us. Yeah, it'll just be sitting there one day. Yeah. Um, yeah, a message in a bottle for for him would be would be cool. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we do have a handwritten letter, another one. We've been getting a lot of handwritten letters lately. That's nuts. Yeah, I don't even have, know if I know how to like write do handwriting. Anymore. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you can use this as reference when you're you're. Re- I'll let you read it. Okay, I'll, I'll relearn penmanship. <laughs> yeah, you. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so we have a, a handwritten letter that we can get to today. That's cool. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, that's, that's really all the housekeeping I wanted to, to get through. Is there anything else that I'm, I'm missing, Mike, before we introduce our guests? Uh, I think that's everything for the book yeah, club. Yeah, I think so. Um, any non-book club related things or? I always feel like I should have something. Right. Like that you told me to say, but I don't. Okay. Right. I didn't tell you okay. to say anything. Good, right. Okay. Yeah. No, okay. then. Well, then let's introduce the guests in order of seniority. <laughs> Seniority being how many times you've been on the show. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy because this time it's very easy. Um, we have uh, Mr. Keith Lemke. What's up, man, of Siebel Institute? Good evening. Yes, uh, I, I'm institutionalized. Uh, I'm just li- <laughs> living the dream to be here. Um, awesome to have you back. One of the uh, um, favorite guests of listeners, uh, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, it's been a while, man, but good to have you back. How have you been? Uh, really quite busy. We have courses uh, kicking up again starting next week. Uh, so it'll be six weeks of students from around the world. Um, the classes have become increasingly international, uh, which which is cool. It's like it's gone full cycle. Uh, when I started with Siebel back in 2000, we had a lot of people from Latin American countries coming in and a few from North America. Then throughout the craft beer wave, uh, more North Americans, fewer from around the world. And now it's flipped over again as uh, craft brewing seems to be finding its way uh, around the globe, still in a growth cycle more so than the U.S. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad that there's a, a growth cycle somewhere. That's good. It's mm-hmm. a good thing to hear. Good. Growth good, is good. good. Good for those guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, or and gals. Yes. <clears throat> Nine bo- Keith, any pals. any beers you've had lately that have stood out to you for one reason or another? Actually, I was in Milwaukee on the weekend uh, doing a little bit of homework regarding draft beer. 
um, and went to Pilot Project up there, and their mm. straightforward Pilot Project Pale Ale, can't remember the, the actual name of the beer, uh, absolutely terrific body, a little bit of sweetness, the bittering on it was on the money, it was the highlight of probably the, eh, I guess about 16 beer I had in different locations uh, throughout the city. But All right. of course, they're doing a multitude of different brands there, and it's a sure. beautiful facility. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. They bought somebody else's facility, right? Who, MKE. Who, yes, that's right. Room. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, that's cool. Uh, well, again, thanks for coming on. Uh, next guest is a first-time guest. Wow. So in also keeping with tradition, you have to introduce yourself and let everyone know who you are and, and what you do. Take sure it away. All right, I guess, uh, well, my name is Pete, Pete yeah. Turnus. I, uh, Great start. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. I got that part. Um, <laughs> Middlebrow is my company. I, I started with a bunch of buddies, a couple buddies. Um, God, it, it was 13 years ago, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Wow. And, um, yeah, it's been a long time. Um, and uh, we opened... Mitzvahed? Pardon me? Bar Mitzvahed? Uh, no. Okay. Can't do that stick, for a company. Stick it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, um, and, and our fifth birthday, or our bungalow is our, uh, our pizza brew pub, and that's uh, been around for five years also, just a couple, wow. of, a week ago, I guess, January 31st, uh, uh, 2019. So anyway, yeah, I'm Pete from Middlebrow. Excited to be here. Super thankful. I've been listening. Well, but when I used to do things, I, I listened to this quite a bit. Yeah. But in the last three, four years, I stopped doing anything. Uh, uh, you, know, even, you just sit, even sit under a rock. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, just run, I run in a style. circle at Bungalow and oh, just like, wave to people and hope they order another beer. Right, like those, <laughs> like, like the caged tigers you see that look very healthy yeah. and happy yeah. that yeah. just pace around oh, exactly. in a circle. Like I just smile with a really, really toothy grin and yeah. really wide eyes. You're having a good time, like, right? I'm, I'm having a great time. You're having a good time? He's so happy. He's so happy all the time. How about you, Pete? Any beers you've had lately that have stood out to you? Or anything that you've drank yeah. lately that stood out to you? I mean, I know you're, you're looking sideways at the wine I, I brought along, right? Yeah. yeah I've, been, I've, dr- I've been drinking a lot more wine than, uh, than beer lately, but just, you know, I, I, like I told you, I don't do much of anything, so it's our beers and wine principally. But I was in Hudson Valley in October and, and had some fun stuff. Uh, I mean, there's just, I don't know, 12 different breweries up there, that, I don't yeah. know, 20 different breweries up there making cool Cool, cool beer. Trying to push the push the envelope a bit. Um, I had some good stuff from Arrowhead, which I was pleasantly surprised with because, you know, I don't know. Um, it just the stuff I was drinking was um, wilds and sours, and and um, I don't know. It's like everything just rips your face off, mm-hmm. or is. Um, too oaky or yeah, whatever, and yeah. it's just nice to Out find something decently balanced. Yeah, yeah. And then honestly, I, I think I'd, I'd give a. a a little nod to I did I did dry January, mm-hmm. and um, mostly did it because we needed we decided we needed to do it to survive mm-hmm. at Bungalow in January, and so we filled our cooler with like I think there was nineteen different NA options okay. in the month of January. It was it was ludicrous. <coughs> it made the staff nuts, but <laughs> I uh, I tried everything and um, yeah, it wasn't for me necessarily. I didn't love anything, but I was pretty pleasantly surprised and found myself going back consistently to notch not just hazy oh. I, hazy ip i think they're i forget where they're from anyway but yeah i don't i, I didn't dig too deep but it was like cracking salem mass right yeah, i thought yeah. they were i thought they were outside boston so that must be right but a few spots yeah man they the 
the, their hazy IPA was just super satisfying for the, you just need it to be satisfying for like five sips when you're trying to like not drink, you know, uh-huh. it's that crack, the sound of it. And like seeing a couple of bubbles fly out of the little hole in the right. aluminum and then like taking a Good sip or two, yeah. you're like, man, it like scratches 75, 80% of your itch, you know? Interesting. And, and it, it was, it was, it was pretty good. I was impressed. Yeah. I've never, um, drank an NA beer because I wasn't drinking a beer and I wanted to have something like it. I've only drank it to see what this NA beer tastes like. And it's a very different setting in that case, you know, versus like, okay, I'm trying to, I guess it's some of like those uh, vegetarian or vegan meats where it's like vegan buffalo wings. And it's like, I've, I've tried that sort of stuff, but always out of curiosity, not out of like, well, I can't eat a buffalo wing, so I'm going to try one of these vegan ones. And I think, you know, having an IPA or, I'm sorry, a- any NA beer in that scenario uh, would be, yeah, totally different. Uh, barring, well, accepting all of what I said, I still think that the Guinness one is my favorite that I've had personally. But sure. I like that one a lot. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've had a lot, but it's my favorite. I think uh, of those things. Yeah, options I like visitor. Visitor was a good one. Okay. Yeah, the macro the macro breweries do a great job, like making you feel satisfied. You know, yeah. uh, all those. The get, get, I mean, Heineken also like mo- so many people I know who, who are, who tend to be NA, like get into the Heineken and and whatever else. You know, Mil- um, Michelob must do one. But. You know, it's funny. I just super told, ultra. Yeah, that's that what it is. No, I, I just <laughs> made that extraordinarily up. ultra. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. maximum ultra. <laughs> I just told Keith that we were gonna hold off on talking about mm. na stuff but now i feel Let's like you've it. teed it up so perfectly so Let's i retract what i told you uh during the opening song <laughs> and now we are going to talk about this first because you and i uh spoke at the metropolitan it, it wasn't their last day or was it literally their last day or maybe the second to last day or last day one of them and you were there Yes. Oh, no, it was the last day. It was literally the last day. And um, you started talking about uh, N.A. beer, and it was fascinating. And it, it was I, a rant is what it was. It, you know what? It, <laughs> it, solilo- it was a rant. I'm not going to lie. It was a rant. It was a rant. Um, and I, I think I said at the time, well, you got to come on the show. Or I certainly <laughs> thought it if I didn't say it. Engage rant. Yes, engage <laughs> brand. So that's all I have to say. Um, so now I'll let you loose. No, um, but you have been doing research, have been talking to people uh, about NA overall. Um, I think specifically, but I could be wrong, about draft NA uh, and some of the concerns that you have uh, over the lack of concern that other people have? Complete, that- uh, in many cases, a complete lack of knowledge. Yeah. Um, and to sort of backtrack, uh, my background is I have been involved in professional brewing uh, since 2000, uh, went in to get the diploma at Siebel Institute and just started working there in the year 2000. So I kind of haven't left the school. Um, and always involved in some aspect of brewing education. But the year before I went to Siebel in 2000, I was at Siebel taking a one-week draft course. 
And that got me involved in something called the Draft Beer Guild. So the Draft Beer Guild formed in around 1999 and, and went on through 2005. I was executive director of that. So I was a person that lobbied to bring in breweries and people involved in uh, the, the draft beer sector uh, towards establishing quality standards for draft beer service. And that is uh, engaging in questions regarding how you appropriately gas beer to make sure that it retains CO2 throughout its service, um, how you make sure that you don't have foam loss when people are pouring beers. But importantly, of course, is draft hygiene. Um, and draft hygiene has been an issue ever since I attended the, the draft course in, in 1999. Back then, a guy named uh, Phil Benstein came in from New Belgium in this course, and he had a raft of research that New Belgium had done and still does to this day that showed at the time about 85% of draft beer was somehow compromised at its point of service. That's what really got me into doing draft beer and draft And that, comp that, that compromise, that comp yeah, the, the compromises could have been la lack of In, carbonation. It could have been infection. Yeah, it could have been any of that stuff. Yeah. You betcha. And sort of flash forward a few years ago, I uh, was approached by the Brewers Association to get involved with some of their technical committees, mostly uh, involved in the draft quality committee. Um, and when non-alcoholic beer came up, um, it presented a really uh, interesting challenge in that already those people who were manufacturing non-alcoholic beer and putting it into bottles or cans knew that it had to be pasteurized or somehow stabilized. Uh, and that can be that you could stabilize it prior to closing the package uh, by using, let's say, sulfites or um, you can use uh, different forms of filtration, ultrafiltration, what's called sterile filtration, passing it into the bottle or can. Uh, and then once you seal it, you hope that bottle or can, uh, especially with pasteurization, or, uh, pardon me, flash pasteurization or microfiltration, you hope that bottle or can doesn't have any contaminants in it. The most effective way to actually stabilize alcohol-free beer is to put it into a bottle or can and then put it through a tunnel pasteurizer because that pa pasteurizes the entire package. Right, right. Well, with draft beer, even if you were to flash pasteurize or microfilter and then put the beer into the keg, if the keg is contaminated there is the possibility that the beer would be contaminated. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the case with any beer, whether it's alcoholic or non-alcoholic. Right. If the keg isn't clean, you can have contamination. The problem with non-alcoholic beer is it's proven that non-alcoholic beer can carry pathogens because the lack of the presence of alcohol can allow certain types of pathogenic bacteria to actually be sustained and in some cases grow given the right conditions. So let's say you actually do a great job of packaging your um, alcohol-free alcohol beer in as sterile a fashion as possible into as clean and sterile a keg as possible. The problem then becomes, what about the draft system itself? Because the draft system itself is rarely ever completely clean. Now, the draft system may have standard beer spoilage bacteria, but if there is the presence of pathogens that somehow can find its way in their way into the draft chain, especially into the draft system, onto the coupler, for example, um, then you have a potential problem of pathogenic bacteria entering into the draft lines and no natural protection through alcohol against that pathogen. And um, 
Uh, okay, so next subject is uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but there's something uh, something else real quick on that note is is grain. There are different grades of grain that 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 are utilized for consumption, and um, it, the, the grains that we eat are graded differently than the grains that we drink, um, and so that's pretty important too, right? If you're making beer with a grain that we would drink typically, one of the reasons it's okay to utilize grains of a different grade in producing beer or any other kind of alcohol, some spirit is because you're doing, you're engaging in this process. And I don't know actually that the, that there's a distinction in terms of like what grain an NA, NA beer producer has to purchase in order to make that sort of above board. Maybe, maybe, you know, it gets, it gets problematic if especially you don't find some way of stabilizing microbiologically the beer going into the package. So you could, do uh, there are people that practice what's called no boil brewing, right? Sure. Where they simply just leave it heated for a period of time, never actually put it through tea. boiling. Yeah. And with an alcohol bearing finished beer, you at least have the capacity of alcohol to be able to kill any potential pathogens. Sure. Um, if you have a no boil recipe, and that no boil recipe now manifests itself in this unique new alcohol free product. Holy crap, you're oh, really yeah. just putting a Petri dish into whatever container you're using. It's pig feed. Well, <laughs> yeah. and, and as you mentioned grain, um, we kind of look, what are the sources of beer spoilage? Um, there are probably 90% of the brewers in North America, because so many small brewers exist here, don't realize that malt is completely covered in bacteria mm-hmm. and mold and wild yeast. And mm-hmm. every time you put it into the mill, when you open up the bag, dump the bag into the mill, sure. all the dust coming out of it is basically blowing around the room. And you can open up your fermenter that's absolutely perfectly clean and sanitized. In the process of opening up the manway door to add a dry or liquid yeast culture, you're dragging in um, microbes into that fermenter. You've added the yeast, you close the door, now you rack that nice sweet wort into it, giving uh, whatever yeast and bacteria a lovely nutritional source uh, by which it can live. Now, you can put it through your entire brewing process and get to the point where, let's say that beer does have spoilage organisms in it, even if it's an alcohol-free beer. If you get it to be stabilized in its container, that's fine. Uh, a bottle or can will last you know, pretty much the same as any uh, conventional alcohol-bearing beer. The and and issue, why is that? Why is it fine if, if there's a pathogen if, in it, if, but it's stable? If you've pasteurized it. Oh, if you if pasteurize you've, it. If you tunnel pasteurized it especially, that means you pasteurize the entire package. Yeah. You can yeah, go yeah. to the uh, uh, little Latin American food store across the street and buy a product called Malta. Yeah, Malta Goya. Malta is very common uh, around the world. And what Malta is is basically a, a thinner version of wort. That has to be pasteurized like you can't believe. The entire package goes through a tunnel pasteurizer and is exposed to an awful lot of pasteurizing units. Pasteurizing unit being 60 degrees C for one minute. When you put something through a tunnel pasteurizer, it will spend a lot of time in that pasteurizer just to make sure that everything is killed. Why? Because Malta, being wort, is a rich source of carbohydrate and nutrients. And there are things that can grow in wort, including pathogens, that will not grow in beer. So when you look at non-alcoholic beer, 
it's actually in many cases not completely fermented wort. You still have the same components of carbohydrates and nutrients that you would find in wort that get passed onto that finished non-alcoholic beer. So those carbohydrates and nutrients offer whatever yeast and bacteria and again, potential pathogens, um, a great source of carbohydrate and nu nutrients in order for them to be able to survive and multiply. When you think about a non-alcoholic beer, again, let's say I'm going to attach it to um, a keg to my draft system. If I've got any bugs in that draft system, uh, whether pathogenic or non-pathogenic, when I connect up that non-alcoholic beer and now fill the lines with the non-alcoholic beer. When that bacteria is inside the lines, if it's resident, if it is lining the entire of the draft beer line in what's called a biofilm, uh, those biofilms, those bugs basically will have an absolute field day with the degree sure. of many nutrients and carbohydrate that you will find in non-alcoholic beer. And remember that you're not pouring beer 24 hours a day. Yeah. So you shut down yeah. at night. That means that entire time when you're not serving that beer, any stationary bacteria lining your draft lines has the potential of just spectacular growth. I mean, turn dry January off. Yeah. And that beer, sell, you sell four of them. Yes. In a, in a, on a Friday night or something like that, right? There is a real fun uh, Instagram site, uh, which is I believe called draft, D-R-A-F-T-W-T-F. <laughs> I can't tell you what WTF stands for. Maybe the initials of the person running the site. But what it is is photographs of draft wow, systems. A, wow, that's fun, I think. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's, it's photographs of draft systems and levels of contaminants in them. Yeah. And you guys probably know what a FOB is, which is this sure. little transparent plastic device inside of a draft room. There are, in, there are in essence, SCOBY cultures growing in these things. Um, that it, it's mold everywhere. Yeah. And in some cases, these are still operational systems. Um, so you never know what you're going to find in these draft lines. And, and so what are some of the uh, solutions that are being pitched for safe NA beer on draft? Guinness and uh, Heineken both have, in essence, tabletop or bar top service systems where they have um, small eight approximately liter kegs that go into a dedicated device right. uh, that sits on top of the bar. And so you have, as they call it, a font or basically a, a tower, a draft tower yeah. uh, that's all beautifully illuminated. And uh, they, they pour you these beers directly into your glass. And that just dramatically limits any possibility of contamination because every time you change one of these eight liter vessels, you're also changing the hardware used in its service. Um, you, you may know, Chris, that um, Heineken has had for quite some time a freestanding uh, bar system in which you get a hose with every keg. It's a short line of hose that you actually feed up through the tower, close the top on the tower, and now you pour through that absolutely new, pristine section of hose that gets tossed away every time you toss away a keg. Yeah. I mean, it's smart. It's smart to do it that way. But what about... Is anyone trying to figure out ways for a, a quote-unquote normal draft system to safely um, uh, serve NA beer? And is uh, there 
Um, and and if so, uh, what are your thoughts on it? I'm I'm leading you to something you were ranting about today. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, Do you remember? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Stoke, and, stoke the anchor, Chris. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And and again, you look at a company like Guinness that is such a profoundly um, draft centric company. For them, it would make sense to uh, set the standard for non alcoholic service using a conventional draft system. And uh, from what I'm led to believe, they still advocate basically what would be a direct draw system. And using what are called the uh, DIN standards, which are the long-standing uh, German standards for draft service and maintenance, um, under the DIN standards for alcohol-free beer, you can serve alcohol-free beer draft, but you need to clean your draft lines at least once a week, and in some cases they advocate once per day. Okay. So if you can maintain that, now let's... A lot of expense. A lot of beer in the lines yeah. there. <laughs> But, economic issues. But we have to consider the trappings behind this. And when when I get together with the other folks on the draft quality group in our teams meetings, and I don't think I'm not allowed to tell this. I don't think these are confidential meetings. I have to remind everybody that the same problems you as a bar or restaurant have keeping staff so do your draft cleaning companies. The people they're hiring are going in there at 11 o'clock at night to 2 in the morning. They are not totally paying attention to what they're doing when they're cleaning lines, or they've been poorly trained, or they're not even a professional draft line cleaner. There's somebody that's picked it up as a business, or it's your bar manager or your new bar staff, your bar back that's training your lines. Um, one of the reasons that we I've never had somebody drain an entire tank of uh, nitrogen. Uh, <laughs> never. Never. That's never happened <laughs> yep. at least once or more. Yes. I mean, there's just... there's just <laughs> Or beers put back in the wrong order. <laughs> there's all sorts of dumbass there's stuff that goes on. But, <laughs> but the most common dumbass thing that goes on is just poor cleaning technique and or neglect. Sure, sure. And we, we think of Chicago, of course, and the major markets, the cities where we consume an awful lot of beer and therefore we can afford to have a lot of draft technicians. Imagine going 150 miles outside of Chicago where you don't have the same amount of licensed accounts and therefore don't have the need for draft technicians. So there are no draft technicians or in your Or states where it's not mandated. You bet. And that's, that's a really... Or the... Yeah. Yes. And it, let's go even further that what happens when you start adding unique ingredients to alcohol-free beverages? Um, does that increase the propensity of different types of factors and potential pathogens of growing in beer? Um, there are all sorts of different things we do in North America that are practices that aren't engaged in in Europe where alcohol-free beer is far more plentiful. Yet when you go to bars and restaurants in Germany and you get alcohol-free beer, I can't remember a time when I've seen alcohol-free beer available on draft yeah. because the brewers there are so aware of all the problems behind this that they're saying, no, if you want an AF beer, drink it from the bottle. I mean, th theoretically, would a like kind of two-pronged approach of both uh, chemical castration, for lack of a better uh, term for using the kind of potassium made by sulfite and flash pasteurization of kegs. Sure. Would that be, would that keep the beer in there both clean even as it's in contact with the draft system because the chemicals in there? Think about that. Think about exactly what you've just said. Would you... 
because if you just <laughs> pasteurize, if you, <laughs> if you pasteurize the beer that goes in the you. keg, yeah. <laughs> does it carry the pasteurization on into the draft lines? Well, if you use the the chemical castration, would, now, wouldn't that carry into the you, draft line? Do you want to drink chemical castrating uh, materials? We do all the time. I mean, do I want to? No, but we yeah. <laughs> we do because clean labeling is important as well. Sure. So when we get to the point where the let's say somebody does have a problem. Um, I'm sure we all know people who say, I can't drink draft beer, it gives me a headache, or I can mm-hmm. only drink draft beer because bottled beer gives me a headache. Um, we, we don't know every compound leached by every type of yeast or bacteria based on every potential recipe. There can be different things that are in beer that we simply don't measure but can, be, uh, can cause reactions with people. Um, I've talked on the show before about biogenic amines. Um, so we have, with all the different recipes we have I available yes. on the market, <laughs> it means that uh, if we have different spoilage organisms, of, of which there are dozens, if not hundreds, in all the variants of different recipes, we will eventually get to the point where people are posting on their Yelp accounts um, a trend of information that when they go and have a non-alcoholic beer at a specific bar or draft, people are going, yeah, you got sick too? Man, I tell you, I not only had a headache, I was living on the toilet for two days. I'll, I'll be honest, that that happened to me. In really? four, four or five years ago, I got like into a kind of clever, a clever NA drink by a, a brewery that we all love, and... Um, and I went back and got it and got it and got it. And I was sick every time and I just didn't care because for, for whatever reason, right? And, and you know, it, I started learning some of this stuff a few uh, months ago when we started research, researching NA beers and, yes. and how to make them well and talking. We talked to this a very cool German brewer who I don't think is in Chicago anymore. But anyway, um, learned a lot of the stuff you're talking about. And it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, holy shit, what, that's what I was dealing with. I'm, I'm certain of it. This particular line or this keg was... You know, it was it was wreaking havoc on my system, and um, yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't bother with a with a draft NA beer. Yeah. I mean, I think there's the future here is like alcohol is bad for us in all these ways and good for us in a, t- a couple tiny ways, and so the true sustainable future is like and kegs are better than cans and glass, and so we got to get tunnel pasteurizers that are enormous, you know, or something or, like that. Yeah, but like know. for now. It's can't cans are nothing, you know. There's this I would think so. I can't, I can't imagine. Now, what about this sort of like high frequency vibrations or whatever that they've got going on that can clean lines? Um, and and th- this is a different matter uh, completely. Um, there has been a technology on the market called a BLM or BLM two thousand uh, that was on the market in nineteen ninety nine when I first started getting involved in draft. Um, they are actually used in uh, the state of Pennsylvania uh, legally, um, and. It, there's degree of ubiquity to their use in Pennsylvania. And what are they? Uh, it is a device about the size of your little finger that you strap onto. Um, thank you for the visual aid, except it's radio. For the audio, maybe. Um, yes. Um, it, it, that uh, <laughs> You strap onto each of the draft Here, lines, and it is supposed finger. to induce a signal, and I do believe they claim it's some form of radio frequency signal that keeps beer moving. Well, the newest iteration of that, there are some three systems that are available. The newest iteration, and my trip to Milwaukee was specifically um, to 
go back to two places I know we use this is something oh. called DraftGuard. And with the DraftGuard system, they say, no, it's different than BLM. And I'm getting closer to having DraftGuard uh, produce information that would give some degree of satisfaction to people who are brewing technicians, brewing technologists. Uh, because it's one thing to say, when you put this device onto your draft system, you can now go up to 12 weeks without cleaning your draft lines. And being up in Milwaukee, I arrived on the early morning train and mm -hmm. went to Explorium just outside the train station. Uh, the owner there, Mike Doble, has had one of these systems and gives a testimonial on the website. That's how I went up there the first time a few months ago. So I went in not telling nobody nothing and sat at no the barns and said, yeah. can, can I get four tasters, please? 11 o'clock in the morning right after they opened, every one of those beers was perfect. Hmm. No sense of um, contamination to it whatsoever. And Mike says, basically, I will do whatever DraftGuard tells me to do as far as cleaning frequency goes. But when they came out with this, with an eight-week suggested cleaning cycle, I had to say to the representative, can you tell me what's magic about eight weeks? Because if what you're saying about the technology is true, that it keeps whatever form of microbes in beer yeah. from attaching to the inside of the lines and keeps them basically suspended. So if there aren't microbes that are served with every beer, what happens at week nine? And he goes, <laughs> funny you should mention that. We've just extended the cycle to week 12 because that's how long we've shown that our results indicate that there is no growth uh, coming out of these systems over and above what you would consider a clean draft system. Then I said, then what about week 13? Well, but and he this, said, what do you know? New tech, new, new research. <laughs> this, Give me a minute. This, <laughs> this becomes the issue because everyone, people that uh, are working for breweries, you know, uh, with the Brewers Association Draft Quality Group, have approached DraftGuard to say, it's one thing to send us your PowerPoint deck showing these two studies that you've got through two universities that were done on water. How have you tested this on beer? Um, and they go, well, we're going to be working on that. We're going to provide you stuff. And it's two years ago I met the guys from DraftGuard and said precisely that. Look, you want me to tell people that I think it's a good idea to at least try it. There's a certain format of testing you actually have to produce for us to be able to trust that what you're doing is testing appropriately. To give you an idea of how um, interesting this is, on LinkedIn – they have been posting ads where they say 86.2% cleaning rate, 94.1% reduction. The hell does that mean? Well, it, it makes me go, wait, you guys say you can't come out yet with technical results, but you are literally into the right. single decimal points. Now, how you are doing this is kind of beyond me, and it leads me to believe that you're doing some accurate testing, and that could, in fact, be the case. So they actually have been picked up. Uh, their system has been picked up uh, for installation and sale by Perlick, who are, of course, um, Perlick and Micromatic, yep. the two the largest biggies. of the draft companies. Yep. So Perlick has a degree of faith in them. And I really want this to work. Do so you I think this has some potential, this thing where it what, vibrates it and somehow this, that makes and it And this isn't okay. really sort of vibrating. What they claim is, and I've, I've actually remembered my science class days from way too many years ago, pure water does not conduct electricity. Any impurities in water allows electricity to pass through water. 
And the reps is um, basically here's the principle that with water or any liquid that has impurities, you can induce a current in it. And what they do is they introduce a very low power, what's called sine wave, in, in the actual liquid in the line. So that's what keeps it moving. It's a minor, minor, minute electrical current that like keeps it. Yes. And, and wow. even, even with that, you Crazy. go, okay, what could so this potentially, what could this potentially do for foam? Um, if your, if your beer sure. is carrying a live yeast culture with which some Hefeweizen and yeast may do, sure. what would it do to, but I mean, these are individual issues that sure, each brewery sure. needs to be able to try in the meantime, does this work with the majority of beers? Now you think about how revolutionary this could be for draft beer. If you cut it down to 12-week cleaning cycles, it means you have reduced by a factor of six the amount of cleaning chemicals you would need to use to clean your lines on an average basis. Oh, yeah. About two, three months ago, one guy died, two people hospitalized when they ingested draft cleaning solution. Because as you know, if you don't take that solution out of your lines, it picks up the color of the lines. So your bartender comes in, goes to pour it, Two ounces of it kind of look like light-colored beer. And again, I had this at a bar in, in Milwaukee on the Sunday as I was about to board the train. I heard an ESB, young lady goes to pour it, and it looks basically like a really light pills with a haze to it. And she goes, well, that's not the ESB. And I said, have you had your lines cleaned? And she goes, how do you mean? I say, that could be draft line cleaner. Because nobody had told her that the beer had been changed in the lines. And... Um, she was fascinated by the idea. She kept it aside and smelled it, says, doesn't smell like draft line cleaner. And it turned out that it was a light beer mm. that she was putting on. But unless she had been conscious of it and the fact that it was daylight instead of being during the evening, right. where it would have been hard. No, to I've heard it. Right? Of, I mean, it, it happens infrequently, but it happens. So there's, there's not an, a good way to go. I there's wouldn't an want to drink caustic. There's an incentive for the draft guard system to work if you're not a draft line cleaning company. Well, big draft line keeping us away. Big draft line. Keith's not allowed to talk for the rest of the show, I think. So, no. (laughs) Thank you. Have you met Carl Castle? Yeah. You guys listen to NPR, but your voice is just like, it's crazy. It's not even a real voice. We got to get it on the voicemail. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, (laughs) Pete's not round right now. (laughs) Let's, he's cleaning a draft line. Let's take a break, do a a reset. I'm going to get another beer, I'm going to get the handwritten letter. And then make uh, sure it's not draft cleaner, Chris. No, it. it I will be hold. You're going to read it whenever not we read your it. beer. Not the. Oh no, you're going to get me. I a can't beer. read. Oh, that's right. You can't read or write. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That, that answer. Finally revealed. I'm illiterate. Yeah, yeah it's okay. Um, yeah, so we'll do that. And we'll come back in like five minutes uh, with more of the Beer Temple podcast. We're back. We're back, baby. The Beer Temple Podcast. Um, I'm here with Mike. We're also here with Pete Turnus. Uh, I have to admit, I always thought it was Turns. I'm glad to hear Everybody you does. say that. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, Keith Lemke. Um, we just heard about uh, all sorts of great things with NA Draft, but it's time now to get to a a letter, right? Yeah. It's a it's a postcard. It is a postcard. I believe it's uh, it's the Queen. Oh, rest in peace. Is Queen Elizabeth II towards the Art Institute of Chicago? Mm. This person has, has wonderful handwriting and yes. addresses it: Serge, Mike, and Chris. Serge, uh, top billing. 
I guess so should, should Serge not, read it not gonna read Whoever it. gets yeah, top Serge will read it. it. Serge will read it. Wait, the queen wrote this? No. Yeah, the queen. <laughs> yeah. Before it's, she, yeah. It takes us a while. We've got a backlog yeah. of letters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Royal Mail <clears throat> sent that. Serge, Mike, and Chris. This is the queen. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm writing seeking counsel. I'm headed to England for a wedding in April. A friend of my partner's. And we're, having, uh, we're hoping to tack on some beer tourism. We'll have a couple of days around London, and then we're thinking of tra- uh, taking the train over to Brussels after that. Uh, any recommendations for, uh, from past visits? Must stops, places to skip, etc. Uh, open to any and all suggestions. Dustily, Andrew F. Wonderful penmanship from Andrew. Yes. Um, very interesting. It just so happens... I just got the tie into why it's the queen. Yes. Okay. Clever. Um, I am well going done, to be Andrew. going to uh, London on a whirlwind tour. Uh, it's okay. Next <laughs> month. Uh, I was thinking about taking the train to Brussels for one day and getting over there, but. So you I wrote this letter? Right. A friend of Margaret's is getting married. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've got. Uh, a few places that I think uh, that are, are worth hitting up in yep. in London. I've never been to London. I've been to Brussels, so okay. Please give the London Rex. Um, sure. TGI Fridays. Yep. Buffalo T- Wild Wings. TGI Fridays. Um, well, I I have to. I'm trying to think of the names of the specific bars. This might have to be. Continued until Taco Bell Cantina week. Yeah, I didn't read the letter until right now, or I probably would have had them (laughs) ready to go. Um, I think the White Horse Pub is is a really awesome uh, real ale. That's where uh, Bruce Springsteen started, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Um, I think for the new school stuff, the Colonel is a must visit. Um, I think they are they are making my personal favorite uh, beer. Uh, I would say uh, you have to hit, there's like two, I think, Harvey's pubs mm. in London. So you should hit one of them because they have Tide Houses. And Harvey's is, still has the, you know, the Brett, you know, the British fungus in, in their beers. Um, so like a white whale of mine is to drink it on cask there. That's what I'll be doing, baby. That's one of the <sighs> things. I'm going with Mike Siegel. He and I are going for two days, ripping and then ripping back. He's going up to Burton. Um, with Ron Pattinson to try to do. And you're not going with him. What are you, what's I think wrong? they're trying to. <laughs> are you okay? Who's this? Who is this? Yeah, they're <laughs> trying to get into the the, the Bass archives and uh, see what they can uh, mess around with up there in Br- Burton. Bring the pod equipment, dude. What are you doing? Right, right. <laughs> Wasn't invited to that part of the trip. Um, I, I'll be just fine. Yeah. Um. So in London. Uh, that's that's what I would say. Oh, also, you gotta find a place that has um, uh, Tim Taylor, landlord on cask. I would say like those are the three things that I would be like kind of the most interested in. If you want to visit the uh, Fuller's Brewery, um, that's pretty classic. It's a really cool tour. It's right in London, and you can get you know London Pride and ESB and and all that stuff there and see the original coppers and stuff like that. So if you're going to do a tour, I would definitely recommend Fuller's. Um, that's me. Anyone else got got anything? Yeah, around uh, yeah. If, if you look for the really 
a shard of glass, tall-shaped building that's called The Shard. Uh, that is in the Southwark area of London, uh, which is by Burroughs Market. So uh, just heading to that location allows you to triangulate to a lot of smaller breweries. Mm. Um, there are a series of small breweries under uh, railway, uh, the railway tracks uh, oh, in yeah. what used to be uh, automotive shops. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can go in there, basically uh, hit two or three breweries back to back, and then there are uh, great beer bars in that neighborhood as well. Uh, it's it's very much turned into the focus of the craft brewing community. Uh, the George Pub at the George Hotel in the shadow of the Shard is also just a, a great place to have a beer. Ran into John Hall of Goose Island there mm. by accident one time. Um, it, that's it's a real terrific area. And while you're down there, if you're if you're keen on not drinking for a couple of hours, uh, is to go to the Tate Museum. Like most of the museums in London, it's free. And it is contemporary art, and it will just blow you away. Very cool. Very cool. Um, I would just say overall, get get Cascale while you still can. And if they're going to Brussels, you got any uh, any suggestions there? I would suggest your sister company, the Beer, the temple? beer temple in yeah. Brussels. The beer Temple there, <laughs> yep. I mean, I'm I assuming... I think it, it's Day Beer Temple. Oh, Day Beer. Yeah. B-I-E-R. The Beer Temple? Day yeah. Temple. Yes. I sent you, you a picture of that. You could go there. there, right? Probably, yeah, yeah. yeah. of course. <laughs> Several people have. Um, yeah, no, Brussels is cool. I mean, I think you have to go to Motor Lambic. Yeah, I had a great time at Motor Lambic. Uh, that was either a, one. That's kind of shock, but yeah, honestly, the, one of the best beers I had the entire time I was in Belgium was like essentially cask Lambic from at yeah. Motor Lambic. Yeah, yeah and it yeah. was y- y- youngish Lambic that was just delicious. Yeah, um, I never had experienced that before. Yeah, Motor Lambic uh, Cantillon is easy to get to. De La Seine is in a different part of Brussels, but uh, that could be a fun uh, place to go to and get super fresh Paris Bulbons and a beer and stuff like that. One of my great regrets is that we missed it when I was mm. there. We went, we, we had scheduled this like two Michelin star restaurant for lunch that we thought would take two hours maximum. And it took three and a half hours to get through all of these courses at lunch. And uh, they cl- it was like a Sunday and they closed at yeah. like two o'clock yeah i mean if you're going to be at brussels for a day and you're looking to do don't beer yeah i would say the meal was delicious but <laughs> yeah don't go to the, the other thing is there's there's beer all over the place in, yeah. in brussels and yeah you can get bottled beer and, and stuff like that pretty much anywhere um but yeah and then london i mean just go into a, a london pub and try to get some you know look up on the camera site and see where what are some good it's accredited Actually, find stuff that is a uh, cask mark, uh, and uh, if it's cask mark accredited, then they're they're taking care of their their cask system and and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, there's some other fun you know little craft breweries that are there. But for my money, the Colonel is still one of the originals and and still where where it's at for me. So I will let you know. Uh, but when I get back, honestly, will be before you go, and I'm sure I will brag to Mike about mm-hmm. how great it was yeah. and why I missed my flight. Get a tour of the Burton stuff. Union with Steve Masty and run on top of it. You know, do all the oh, things that did, tourists did you not do. hear? It's been yeah, decommissioned. Yeah, no, we, we talked about it on the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been decommissioned. Right. Sadly. Um, did you hear that, Keith? Yeah. 
I've, yeah. I've actually been to the that facility in yeah. Burton, the Bass Coors uh, yards, and it's it's quite cool. But yeah, the whole thing is basically just being shut down at Bass Coors. Um, yeah, I, I can I can see we're closing down. Unfortunately, the that Burton system uh, would make economic sense. But my God, uh, you know, I, I I think the UK has always underestimated the power of beer tourism. Uh, I talked with a um, an ambassador from the UK at an event over here and mentioned beer tourism. And, oh, yeah, we have a lot of people coming over to the pubs. Well, no, I mean, you have people also coming over there specifically to try specific beer. Oh, really? I visited there to go to Burton and see the unions. I mean, yeah. I'm a yeah. weirdo, but I did it. Like and country, countries always, let's go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So it's been decommissioned. Um, um, I had... Uh, again, Mike Siegel like reached out and tried to ask about it, and they're 100% already decommissioned, and didn't even do like a last brew on it. Didn't like a, a ceremonial last brew or something. Just no, just just tear I it down. I think we assume they're going to be much more sentimental about things than they actually are. Like you find that in a lot of older places. Yeah, where like like oh, it's so old. How could you? Or, like it's because America's only like. A few hundred years old. They're just like, yeah, this happens. This is what we do. Right. Well, I mean, it was like that in China. Not to compare the two. To like directly, one of the things that um, is going on with with bass over there, and I'm reading about in hops and and glory mm-hmm. uh, available at the beer temple. Available at the beer temple <laughs> is when bass sold to AB or InBev at the time. They just wanted the brand, and they had this archive. Uh, of like hundreds of years of bass, um, and um, like we, we want that. No, we don't want that. Don't don't make that part of the deal. We just want the we just want the the current recipe and the Brand the rights rice. to brew it. Yeah, and then that so that all stayed with um, the brick and mortar, which was then bought by Coors. So now. Coors owns the archives, and AB InBev owns the rights. So that almost guarantees that nothing will ever happen because <laughs> <laughs> it. it's like, what a mess. Right. But again, I don't know how many people overall care about it, but still a bummer. But anyway, a lot of fun stuff to do in London. And if anyone out there listening has other suggestions for Andrew, yeah, write them in. Yeah, send them to us, Prince Andrew. Yeah, yeah, it's probably Prince Andrew, right? Oh, bad news for him recently. So, <laughs> of things uh, historic and antiquated, uh, I would suggest watching what's happening with the Museum of Beer and Brewing in Milwaukee, uh, which is now got a physical presence. That's one of the things I was looking at in the weekend because Siebel donated a lot of stuff to it. Nice. Um, so it should be up and operational probably within the next month. Uh, it's in a community that has, uh, I believe, three or four other breweries immediately surrounding it, um, a little south of the city, and it might be worth a stop for anybody going up there. Cool. Um, there's also a pub called The Seven Stars uh, in London, and it's from, like, 1602. Damn. And that's, that's there's some soup. It's not the There's own. great pubs, right? There's some soup. Super duper duper old ones. I mean, it's not too often that you go into a over 400 year old pub that's been a pub that long. 
So it's not just the building is that old. Yeah, it's yeah. been a bar for 400 right, years, right. Yeah. which is so awesome. I, I have, I've been to England since college, so 20 years. But So I don't have anything that wise or that interesting to say other than if you make it to Oxford, there's one. Of, you just, I'm sure you can just Google this, but there's a pub down a random alley that you go into, and it's got like six and a half foot ceilings, and it's got every single tie like the little tiny triangle oh. ties that are like miniaturized because they needed to fit all of these ties onto the ceiling and the wall. And there's no music in this place, but the walls and the ceilings are just covered in these little ties of Oxford graduates from, you know, hundreds of years ago. And like, wow. you're, you're kind of like creaking your neck and sit down with a beer and, and like there's a rough, there's carpet, right? It's one of these, yeah, one of these joints that like, yeah, the carpets were the, the surprising beer, to me. I don't even know. <laughs> I mean, this is 20 years ago. I don't know what the beer, what beer they serve, but it's just kind of a, the pub culture there is just, yeah, just you know, hard to beat. There's, it's, it's the best, there, I think. There was a pub that got bought. The building got bought by a developer. It was a historic site in the neighborhood, and they started knocking it down. And the neighborhood sued them. And because it was a historic site of public gathering in the neighborhood, they had to reconstruct the entire building and make it exactly as it was before <laughs> and reopen it as a pub. That's funny. That doesn't happen here. So no, <laughs> find some of those places. No, too. no. Uh, well, thank you very much, uh, Andrew, for the letter. And yeah, we'll have you. some follow-ups if you continue to listen. See how I get them to keep listening to the show? That's right. I don't give them the answer all the, at once. That's why you're the best in the biz. That's, that's true. That's why I'm the <laughs> yeah. best in uh, the in the, biz. In this room, at least. You're, yeah. You're Top the, 100. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Top 100 recording of all time. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, that We talked about that off-air, by the way, so nobody knows that. <laughs> but... Um, What's, which we go no to? What we're talking which about. we go to next, Mike? Uh, you know, I did say when you asked me this off air that we should talk about the numbers. Yeah, you don't I think it? I changed my mind. Why? I think we have uh, people here who can speak better to to the the other thing we were going to talk about. Talk about it. The kids. The kids. The kids, kids and days. what they're drinking. Okay. And how? Well, you you had people in here recently, and it's like trying to spur this. Yeah. A little bit younger generation than yeah. than yourself or myself, and you're they're at the beer temple, and yet mm-hmm. they're preferring to order tequilas and sodas or other alcoholic yeah, beverages. Yeah, not a lot of uh, not a lot of beer was ordered. We had like a a big crew roll in, like 150 people came in. Uh, a walk in? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, thankfully, um, it was um, like a charitable gala that was looking for a place to do an after party and uh they had contacted us and said can we swing by and we're like yeah come on in um and um so they were younger but they were you know they wanted to be out they wanted to you know have a good time and they were drinking and um some beer but not not much. It was a lot of vodka sodas. It was a lot of tequila soda. To, and the one that I was kind of laughing about was there were a couple of people who were um, calling uh, a high-end tequila uh, and Sprite. Do you guys um, even have Sprite? I wouldn't we do. know that before. Yeah, we do have Sprite. Um, and it was just interesting to see uh, these people. And what's the age range, do you think, of the people that were calling these drinks? Older 20s. Um, Maybe like so early thirties, not like, like twenty-one year olds, right? Like, I don't know. That'd be my guess. 
Yeah, maybe older 20s. Yeah. Yeah, late millennials, early Zoomers. Right? Yeah. That's how I always think of people in generations. That's how I like to box people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. You know, I only see generational. Yeah, they don't, they don't, they don't get are. out of that box. That's, yeah, no. That's no. all we are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. But, I mean. Th- that's I mean, why my brother and I don't get along at all. We hate each other because I'm, uh, I'm Gen X. You're like a young And he's Gen a millennial. X. Right, you know, exactly. I know we're only a few years yeah. apart, yeah. but it, that doesn't matter. No, well, I'm a boomer, so that's yeah. how we get along. So you're well. a boomer at soul, <laughs> yeah. at heart. Yeah, sure. you're an old soul. Old soul. Yeah. Well, I think like Keith's the- greatest generation. I think. Very compliment. Very rude. Yeah, like the greatest. <laughs> yeah, the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> I just wonder, you guys are talking about this like we used to talk about astrology. You're typifying your individual personal characteristics based <laughs> oh, on yeah. where you were born. It's, it's yeah. either that or birth order, yes. you know, yes. Right? Yes. or blood yeah. type if you're in Japan. <laughs> right. Um, but I think okay. That, I mean, there is something too, like that. A lot of the craft beer boom was driven by the consumption habits of young Gen X and elder millennials, right? Not to, not to be like Sagittarius or yeah. Capricorns or whatever, but yeah. like that age range where people that like, it was a lot were made by that age range and marketed to that age range. And we might have totally, totally be whiffing on younger generations and not connecting with their value sets at all. Well, a lot of what I hear also is how unhealthy beer is. I mean, I, I hear it. A lot, like oh no, I you know I can't, I don't, I, I don't want beer. It's so unhealthy for you, and that's something else that you and I have also talked about recently. Uh, Keith is like, I know we're probably a little biased, but as you put it, it's like you're you're talking about something made from cereal made grain, from cereal. Yeah. Uh, versus something made from just like sugar in the sugar. case of seltzer. Yeah. And we're actually going through this um, amongst the Brewers Association groups because within the subcommittees of the Brewers Association have individual interests. But every now and then they put us all onto one big topic, and that is TTB and FDA are reconsidering what should be on labels for alcoholic beverages. And everyone's kind of getting tense because if they're going to insists that we have to put calories and carbohydrates on every product that we produce, regardless of the size of the brewery. Um, Carbohydrate and calorie testing can run anywhere from uh, 200 to 250 bucks. And then if it needs to have an even wider profile, it can get up to $2,000 per beer for testing. As a small brewery, that's quite (laughs) onerous. And people are like, "Uh, you know... um, we should really be fearing that they're going to ask us to put nutrition on everything. And as you say, Chris, I look at it from uh, a rather Germanic and a Charlie Bamforth way of looking at this is that beer is made from cereal grains. And we still aren't looking at non-alcoholic beer from a total nutritional profile, which is that uh, for beers that are fully fermented, depending on the organism you're using, the organisms themselves produce vitamins and nutrients. Plus the fact that it's corn and rice and barley coming out of the ground with zinc and magnesium and selenium and not to say it's in scads but it is there and if you're someone that chooses to drink an alcoholic beverage i don't think there's a healthier alcoholic beverage for you to choose to drink than beer red wine's pretty damn good too you know a lot of antioxidants anthocyanins if you look at all the blue zones is like ridiculous and trendy as that might be yep they're covered in black beans and purple potatoes and red wine and these are all these are all 
food food items with a ton of anthocyanins and other antioxidants. Yeah, sure. And that's that's a that's a pretty seriously good thing to drink from a health standpoint. But we're talking not about the components of alcoholic beverages. We're talking about the alcohol and alcoholic beverages. And that's why people who are younger are avoiding these beverages because they view that they view the alcohol itself as some kind mm, of I, issue. I, so I think what what I have heard uh, anecdotally and also in person is not um, yeah not that though because yes I think alcohol consumption is is down but I've also heard it's people saying no I don't want beer I'll take some high noon. Because sure. beer's beer's so unhealthy, but yeah. I'll take this I mean, high noon. That's kind of what I was referring well, like to. I, I think, yeah, that yeah. Is, I think the overall trend is yeah. is true that younger generations are drinking less alcohol. They have other but ways. That's, to, that's right. They have other uh, ways and other legal sure. ways yeah, to yeah. alter their states. But I think that the the carbohydrate thing is is huge. Like it's been three years of or five ten years of keto diets and yeah, paleo yeah. diets and all this other and like all this stuff where the carbohydrates and sugar are the enemy right currently sure and that ebbs and flows right we'll sure. figure out like oh they're not that bad you just gotta eat these ones and so like, here's the question then it's like the question i have is in my mind very jaded is so w- what do you graduate from if you're drinking a a high noon so if you're drinking beer I think you can graduate if you're drinking, you know, wine. You can graduate to different types of. I don't know how many young people are drinking wine, but like, you know, but there are some certainly more, more these days. More are not, yeah. not that many. Um, and if you're drinking, even you know, rum and coke, you can graduate. Where does that lead to? Um, and it's I don't know. It just seems like uh, I don't know if that exists as much as it used to. Like we definitely saw it in beer, where there was like the life cycle of a beer drinker, where you start off and you have that one beer that gets you into craft beer, and then you try all these different styles, and you try IPAs and double IPAs, and then you get into like Belgian beers. And like that was a thing that we saw happen to a lot of people that got into beer ten years ago. And then the, the joke of all you come back around, you just want a pilsner. But that doesn't happen to people as much anymore. Well, also in other with other categories, it's just not relevant yet. Right. But yet is a really important word here because. Right. Where we, you know, we're looking at high, high. If you're looking at high noon right now, just think about how many ridiculous brands the macro companies put out before or in the early days of craft beer. Like it, there was a, there were a dime a dozen. You'd have a random thing by Miller every two years, and I'd be drinking it in the forest at at thirteen or fourteen or whatever. Yeah. The season right. is just hard spray. But, yeah, right. But 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 I mean, you you do graduated because craft beer came around. But craft seltzer is probably only knocking at the door. It's just it's in someone's basement right now, or in someone's brain right now. And, right. and like natural wine is, a, and, and other kind of cutesy wine brands are coming up. And yeah. same goes with probably other alcohol, you know, RTD alcohol. I guess I was always and, searching for something uh, elevated in some sense. I didn't really know what craft beer was when I started. What does drinking. elevated mean in that context, though? Is it um, simply that it tastes? more refined or something or was it how they were telling you they made it and how it they were telling you what, what they tell, what they, were, age, what they were telling you their values at were. that age probably well, i don't know about if it went that far but something that i saw as a higher quality product and that could have been when i started drinking bass ale because i was like oh okay this is british stuff really old or 
what's this? And, oh, what are these, you know, half and halves or, you know, black and tans, whatever you want to call it. Oh, okay. Like, I was probably underage at yeah, the time sure. when I started doing that. But I was, like, I was looking. I would buy books, um, you know, trying to, like, I bought a wine book early on. I had a beer book where it was just, like, you know, just looking at stuff and trying to figure it out. But I did that about other stuff as well, uh, foods generally, um, like I just don't. I'm just curious where the person who's drinking um, these like seltzers and 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 these drinks that are out now. Like, does well, I mean, is that it, person maybe most people have never had that to begin with? And it's. But, I think you and I and probably everybody at this table uh, came after craft beer as a hobby. Um, it was a hobby yeah. that also was a social occasion. And at the time of craft beers, uh, the, the best years, I think, were about 20 to 30 years ago when newer breweries were coming out with newer types of beers, especially, uh, you know, Pale Ale, Begat, IPA, Begat, Double IPA, Begat, using hops in brown Vinegar. ales. Uh, and... So at the time, what was what was the same thing in wine? There wasn't. There was variety in wine, but wine was typified by the grape and by the region. Um, distillates, the variety in distillates was nothing 25 years ago. And what we did was introduce the idea that you can take that vertical category of just beer and man you can make it into an experience that's right but then the winemakers went hey why can't we put this into bourbon barrels of course you can why don't we blend well you probably should um every category of culinary arts has benefited from what we created in craft beer, which is differentiation and consumption as an experience. That, that's exactly right. I mean, and, and that's, that's, that's critical here because, because if you think about, like I, I talk all the time about how natural wine is just behind craft beer and it's just, just behind craft beer. Yeah. Now it's the wine cycle is a one-year cycle and craft beer is a one-month cycle or beer yes. production is a one-month cycle. So it's a lot, it's going to take a lot longer for it to catch up. But when you're talking about high noon or any other kind of shitty... Uh, <laughs> you could say it. Nice yeah, yeah, you're right. fine. Curse. Yeah. Okay, when when you're talking about any, we know what you meant by swear. Okay, swear. I, I just don't know if that's like. <laughs> just don't take the Lord's name. Is that in like vain. a Zoomer yeah, yeah, yeah. term? Swear. Yeah. Anyway, swear? Um, no, I don't think uh, it's the word. You tell me. <laughs> yeah, I am the the fake the fake young guy. Yeah, I have a lot of young employees. Um, but all, the, all this is to say, um, what high noon will do, or where it will go. It, it, where it, if it's going to survive, I guess is a, is a good. It could just fizz out, and sure. that's probably what what it will actually do. Yeah, to use a fun term, fizz. But nice. what will actually probably happen isn't that you know you're not going to get this craft beer version of seltzers, but what you're going to and you're going to get a, but you're going to get a cuter brand. Sure, fine. You're going to get an experience at a local level, and you're going to get more local ingredients. You're going to get beet sugar, and you're going to get some addition, some some inclusion like strawberry syrup from a farmer. That's the kind of stuff you'll start to see if this category is going to have any legs going into the future and people creating experiences around it. I, I do know of a place that's, a, that's about to open in Pilsen that is, is liquor forward and is, is creating this sort of experience around liquor and, 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 and seltzers and fun drinks that are not beer and not wine and not like hard liquor. It's not a distillery necessarily. Mm -hmm. And 
who knows if it'll work out, but the, but the big point here is the experience is critical. Craft beer created, it made you think about where your, where, where your ingredients came from. It made you think about the person who lived three blocks away from the brewery, who showed up every day and, and worked in the garage and, and was working the bar at night. And that kind of energy, that's what, either you'll see that happen in, in all these new categories and they'll grow, and people will graduate from high noon into, into these kinds of drinks, or you won't. And I'm actually thinking you probably won't. I think uh, beer and wine lend themselves to this more so than like uh, seltzer. I, I don't think it's a matter of graduation either. I think it's simply moving to a different product just to be able to say, okay, I tried uh, high noon grapefruit. It was good. Uh, now I make a choice. Do I stay within high noon because I know the grapefruit was good or look for another brand of grapefruit? Mm -hmm. uh, and instead of grapefruit with vodka, how about grapefruit with tequila? I know I like grapefruit. Why would I stick with high new? And how about pawpaw? Yeah. You know? it, 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 it's the same with music. Um, at, uh, I obviously am substantially older than you people, but uh, remembering Creation a time generation. before college radio, <laughs> because college radio was a turning point very yeah. much for music. Yeah. Um, airwave radio was all dominated by record companies and payola and organized radio station networks. And then college radio came out with bands nobody heard of who you had to share cassette tapes of their music and it created musical differentiation and different tastes. And now, um, Nobody really dominates. No one type of music dominates the music scene, and I don't think one type of music, music automatically dominates individuals. Instead, I see a lot more diversity yeah. in what people listen to. I, I got buddies that listen to almost nothing but heavy metal, with the exception of jazz and Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. holy crap. Right, right. So, so maybe the days of uh, just having like your... I'm a Bud Light guy or, or whatever it is. Now, I think I tend, I could see it going in the way that you kind of mentioned. Um, Just to be clear, I don't Pete, think it's going to go that way, but I think that's the right. option available to. I think I've seen a, a, at least one example that I could see being duplicated. That's a, a, a different way that that could go, which is localized, but more localized in a kind of community culture uh like collective where people get behind a hard iced tea or a it, where the quality isn't necessarily better but it's made locally right. and it's branded as local right. and whatever it does and now when i say I, branded local i'm not saying like cubby bear seltzer i'm saying something about it connects to the people as being from there somehow three one two of something i mean know? it might not even need to be uh, literally like yeah. literally there it's just something about it people connect like malort malort yeah. i guess has the flag but malort is is identified as chicago um even though it isn't doesn't have chicago in in the name necessarily so i could see something like that happening and i've seen at least two instances um both are uh, with like distillate though it's a it, um where that has happened and, and young people have, have gravitated towards it. Mm. Um, so that's something I could see. Um, I don't know if the next generation values physical locality in their products as much as 
El, like elder millennials and like yeah. younger Gen Z, to, and maybe those like, people I'm, I'm seeing drinking it. When you look at like what fair. they res, how they respond to like poll questions like that, they value much more like global impact and things that like align with their like whatever their spoken values are, and they don't view it as much as it like well this is made down the street it it, it exists in the local economy in a in a more tight way than like. A, a macro version of it does. They think more like, oh well, this company donates this amount to charity that, that I care about, and I think, right. So and, now and, let's and, have them air freight it was, over. We to all me. live big, like mo- a lot of our lives online, but every successive generation is going to get more and more and more living their life in a digital, less physically grounded, connected space, and they're going to. I think they're going to care less about the fact that this thing is made locally and the impact that has on like all the local agriculture, the local, uh, like, well, I think they're being or, sold or, that, that, that or, or, the, or the opposite is true. I, th- I think I agree with your first point, which is that they, they're going to be increasingly detached from the people around them. And it's going to encourage them consistently to like find some balance in their life and focus on what's focus on what's near them. Um, I, uh, I also want to make a quick point, which is that 10 years ago when we were, you know, we were kind of at the beginning of this company and trying to build, business plans and stuff to, to make it a, from, to make it move from a project to a company, we were seeing the same surveys and, and millennials didn't actually care about local issues in polls. They cared about global issues. And we were sort of torn about the local charity donation thing that we did. Cause we thought, should we be focusing on water in the continent of Africa or should we think about local issues and and the polls all suggested we should do the former instead we did the latter and i think it may, i don't know why that worked for us it, well, maybe it didn't, maybe it didn't work for us but i do, do, do you see what yeah, i'm no, saying totally. like, i think what that issue is particularly interesting to me whereas we've like uh in that giving to charity thing you can now like use data to optimize your dollar for the greater good of the world but and and of course that's a good thing right but it's not what charity has ever been about, right? Like, if you do that, you can feel a little good about, like, yeah, of course, mosquito nets for people in high malaria areas in in Africa is, is a thing I want to donate to. But you also want to feel the connection with the people and the things you're donating to. I don't know. That, that, but no, that, it's, uh, it's, it's complicated because charity as an idea is, is sort of like this. It gets but, complicated. But to, like, to, are, we hell, are we saviors, right? But like, right, well, and, Or just to completely abstract the idea of what it means to be charitable into like, I have X dollars. I need to maximize them. It's like, well, also charitable could be you can, can connect with the people around you and give your time or your emotional ability or whatever it is. For sure. Uh, where the, yeah, Will, and I think, Will McCaskill. And I think this it. actually gets right dead on. And I think it gets, it gets right back to the bigger point here, which is, um, which is the more you, you people, the next generations, as they become increasingly detached from each other, which is, seems inevitable. I don't think anyone can really disagree with the, the inevitability of that. Um, we, they will increasingly. They'll have to find. They're humans. They'll have to find ways to connect with each other, and and whether they call it charity or or or, or so, sort of volunteerism or whatever, um, or or some. I don't know. God, we're probably using crazy terms fifty years from now. But the point here is is they're. I think they're going to need to balance out that of uh, that reality with like what's happening on the corner right now and who's making something on the corner right now and. So I think there's hope for the sort of sure. local, the local aspect of this, whether it's a sugary 
shitty tequila and whatever drink, tequila and strawberries drink, but like fine if it's made by the guy who I know lives on the other block, you know, and also struggles with the rat problem in our alley. You know, that's the kind of stuff people seem to love about craft beer. It's just made by him. Did you know that his mom once in a while serves her cookies in the brewery and and did did you see him there with his? He I just talked to him. He was sweeping out the sidewalk, you know, sweeping the sidewalk and and shoveling snow. And people just loved that about craft beer. And that's actually, as much as I liked the the sort of artisanal production side of craft beer, the thing that consumers seemed to be more interested in was always the sort Local of manufacturing, connection, or, the, connect, the connection yeah. with the with the human involved, right? The guy, the guy or girl or whoever down the street doing the thing they looked him in the eyes they knew that their jeans were getting old and they needed a new pair and that's the kind of that's like that was that was a big part of what i liked about it too and i anyway how much of this do you think might be economic based and temporary as well that like inflation has been really tough people don't feel like they have as much money to spend on obviously the person buying top shelf tequila and sprite doesn't feel this but like craft beer really came into its own in during sure. the post like recession recovery, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if people's feeling like they have a little bit more expendable income to choose what to do with their leisure money has something to do with that. Whereas they're being very know. very austere with their like you see intoxicant it, you see leisure it money right now. with growth of middle class as yeah. well, right? Um, so yeah, definitely. If you have more in the way of expendable income, you feel as though you can treat yourself more frequently and to higher value stuff. Uh, you see how much is being sold in Asia in the way of the highest value alcoholic beverages. They're basically buying out bourbon like oh, yeah. you can't believe. Yeah. Have been buying some All of the most wine. expensive wines. Yeah, Burgundy um, and 90s America. So, Middlebrow. But, <laughs> yeah. but on the other hand, just as we're into this conversation and the motivations for people choosing what to drink and especially what brands and, and cost concerns, 95% of beer sold worldwide still falls into Heineken, Budweiser, Stella Artois, yellow light yep. beer. Yeah. Why? It's, I, it's, <laughs> I, don't it think it, I don't think it's necessarily <laughs> just financial. I think it's that people just want something refreshing to drink generally. We're not always making conscious decisions what to buy you and don't to have drink that much as bandwidth an experience. Mentally. Yeah, uh, to totally. think about it. It, my first, yeah. my first beer, maybe whatever looks just so so totally enticing up on that list, and my second may as well, and then it's just going to be pale ale. Um, it, we still just have the need to have something thirst quenching, and that is the vast majority of people. Not everybody wants to make every beverage and every food a memorable experience. Yeah, the truth is, no one ever cared. Actually, like, yeah, the, <laughs> absolutely. The huge majority of people never. It, cared. it was it was us going. Um, you know, it was me going. I can't get a good selection of beer in my liquor store in Vancouver, so I'm going to start home brewing. Mm-hmm. And then I start making beers no one's ever tried, no one's ever heard of, and handing it out to my friends, and they're going, holy crap, what is this? Um, yeah, these types of beers are available in a ton of different places. And now we can make them here. So mm-hmm. we can add that level of experience, that culinary art, to a culture. And people will find it who want to find new experiences. But the vast majority of people just want an ethanol delivery system. Mm-hmm. For sure. right. they, they want 
seltzer. They want something that is mindless. Look at sales through convenience stores. A lot of people don't buy their stuff consciously through large liquor stores, even large grocery stores. They'll buy the groceries at the grocery store, ignore the liquor aisle, and just stop at the local 7-Eleven or convenience store and just choose whatever they have there based on convenience and that it's cold and they only have to carry it a block and a half rather than six blocks from the grocery store. And a lot of motivating experiences behind why people buy stuff, and it's almost always based on just ethanol delivery. Or hand-to-mouth delivery, right? Like, that's why NA is growing and fine, because people can have those same experiences that they have in life if they're just doing this hand-to-mouth all night and talking to their friends. Mm-hmm. And, and this is why you, I think NA has a future, actually. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, sorry. I think we're here for the people that aren't like that, though. Mm-hmm. We're here for the people like for that want to know like meet the person who's sweeping up in front of their shop that happens to make the beer like that's what majority of the people I mean all the all the people sitting in this room and most of the people that listen to this show are here to engage those people and I know I said earlier maybe that that next generation doesn't care about that as much maybe they don't right now but like enough people from each generation will care about that type yeah, of stuff sure. and maybe it's not gonna sustain. 9,500 breweries, but it will it will still... Maybe 5,900. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's great. 4,400 to go. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we're, we're here for the people that care more deeply about it. And, like, I don't know, it, it, if a, that's all... the economy around that. If that's all the, the market really is for a lot of that stuff, then so be it. But yeah, yeah. authenticity still matters, and yeah. we're here for people that love yeah, authenticity. Yeah, I think brick-and-mortar meeting places... Public houses are a, a human need, um, and I think they're not going to go anywhere. I mean, people want to go out and actually see somebody, other people, we whether they about, know them or they don't know them. You know, we talked about bars that exist for four hundred years. You know, right? So, yeah. Right. Um, Game of Thrones. Yeah, <laughs> but it will be. It will be interesting Hail. to see, yeah, in this work, as people do get more and more disconnected, what do they rely on to uh, to kind of help uh, make that decision uh, for them? And it, it, is, it is interesting. I mean, I, I think whenever I go online, I see what I think is like a new, a whole new era of like late night infomercials, but they're coming at you like, all the time. Yeah. Like anytime one of those things starts with, I am completely obsessed with, it's like, oh, this is going to be an infomercial yeah. that people laugh about yeah. in, yeah. in like 10, 15 oh, totally. years. Saturday Night Live skits. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's like, and that's like all, all the time. I mean, just, just today, somebody was talking about like how bad movie popcorn butter was. And his big thing was like, and butter flavor, I mean, what is even that? And this guy was supposed to be like a, a health, he was, you know, a, a younger, I'm saying kid, but he was, you know, I think he was like the the wellness minister or 20. something is what he called himself. <laughs> and I was like, that's like probably like pub. the healthiest like element of, of the that pu- whole popcorn yeah. thing, <laughs> yeah. you know? And people were like, oh my God, the flavor is like, it's so bad for you. It's like, ugh, they're trying to poison us. And it's like, wow. You're it's, dealing with so key. much. It's just a purse. It, like, well, there's like, there, maybe, it's diacetyl maybe just like thrown into it. Too, you know? There's just so much 
fatigue uh, in general of yeah. just yeah. so much stuff all the time. I don't know if you have a smartphone now, but if you look at that thing, there's yeah. always stuff coming at you. <laughs> and like, it, and that bleeds into like how much energy you have to like make other decisions. I've got a feature phone. So like when there's kids who, you know, maybe they're 10 years younger than I am, but they've spent 10 more years like engaged with a phone. Like I didn't get a phone that actually could sell me anything until I was probably 23. And so, like, just being engaged with a phone that's constantly trying to take your attention, like, you just are exhausted to make decisions. So instead of yeah. coming here and looking at that board and being excited, like, oh, there's an ESB, there's that, it's probably just like, uh, I saw, literally saw more images in the last six hours than all the people that lived from zero, from the dawn of time until 2000. So, like, I'm just going to get the thing I know I like. like that- or, like, whatever, that. Whatever, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Thing, I, the thing I know I like, yeah. 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 Can I get that, a prime in vodka, please? It's, yeah. it's wild. I hate to like bring up the New York Times because everyone on every side of the political aisle seems to hate them. But they just put out an art, uh, put out. They just put out an article. Someone who writes for the New York Times wrote an article about how three beers is the new like menu ideal for brew pubs because Meeting House did it and Stan Suarez is that. Dan. Yeah, Reading House was in New York Times. Yeah, and maybe Suar- that maybe place. that Dan Dan Suarez guy, and and it's all just like right and sure, and no one wants to make decisions anymore, and everyone's figured out what they like about craft beer at this point. It's maturing actually, and that's good. It's a good sign. We we know that we don't care about these freakish styles. The the big bulk of people right now, I might still like that style, and my customers might still like that style, and I can make that decision on my own. But the big bulk of people probably just want a pale ale, a lager, and one other thing, two other things, maybe mm-hmm. sour and one other thing, mm-hmm. and no one cares about saisons. That- <laughs> Sorry, Mike. <laughs> Damn right, but like, right but but the but the but they the, don't. <laughs> I, we, we live that. We live that. Life. But I mean, meeting but, house serves one. Yeah, I mean Orval. I mean, if you want to call right. that a saison, but, but I'll take but it. But the point the, the point here is what you're saying is that decision fatigue is a huge part of this generation's life, and and COVID seemed to muddy up the transition, but it probably would have been really natural. And instead it feels like this abrupt change where like people going out right now just don't want to look at a menu with 12, 12 options on it. They want to look at a menu with four options on it or five yep. and that's enough. And they, they, they've all done the craft beer thing or they, or their friends have, or their parents have, or their bro- older brothers or sisters have. And like, they kind of have a sense of what they want and they don't care anymore. Yeah. And, and, and I, even though, again, we, we are not talking necessarily to those people. We need to be, we need to be cognizant of those people sure, if we want sure. our businesses to be businesses and not just garage. I didn't say we're not here basement for, projects. We're not here for them. Also, to- totally, exactly. <laughs> we need both, right? But the 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 big the the the, the really insightful thing you're you're sort of saying right now is decision fatigue is enormously. It's not just because not decision fatigue at bars. It's decision fatigue in life. Yeah, and it's leading to this, to decision fatigue at bars. And you're like, sure, I'll take the lager and I'll take the uh, the. The, the wine that's at the top of your menu. You know, that's what we see. Right. That's what we see. We see like, we sell more wine than beer now, frankly. Mm-hmm. And all the wine that we sell is basically the first menu, first wine that we list in the menu. Right. Do right. you change that up? Because you're like, oh, we're running, yes, low. We're running low on absolutely. the breath. Every <laughs> single, almost day, every three days. Yeah. 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 I, I think with wine, it, it is, it, it's a great example of that. And I think it's a better example of it than beer because beer is so familiar to everyone. It is one thing I like about beer 
and I've, I've said it on this show in, in the past, is one of the things that always was interesting to me about beer and that I didn't want beer to get up to up its own ass about was the familiarity people had with it. I, I, I didn't want people to... Uh, you know, take a sip of beer like they do wine and then kind of like mm. look to their friend whether they should in, mm-hmm. like what they're tasting or not. Mm-hmm. I wanted there to be enough confidence yeah. in it. And I think that's why maybe with beer, a little more variety might be like if you just did like one beer at the top, regardless of style, I bet you you would get more people than wine being like, oh, that's a stout or oh, that's a porter or oh, that's a Saison. Probably yeah, that one. <laughs> and um, Damn, but <laughs> versus like you know, um, um, you know, oh, that's a, a, a zin. rose zin. Yeah. You know, like because that one, there's just they're they're not as confident in. Totally. So then they're just gonna be like, okay, you say that's good, then then go for it. I mean, there's also kind of some room in that case, like if they're in your space, to kind of be like, here's what's good, right? Like people want that so bad, like. I, for the first time, yeah. like I like, I was talking to my fiance, and I'm like, I've you know worked for myself for five like five years, and before that, I didn't really have a boss. I'm like, I just want someone to tell me what to do. Like I'm like I'm exhausted from like having to make every decision. So if I walk into a place, I'm just like I'm just it's basically dealer's choice. It's the, the kind of thing you, at, yeah, at, at McDonald's, <laughs> right? yeah. yeah. Well, or you see on on, on every menu as as the restaurant industry matures too you see this on menus increasingly which is a box around a thing you're supposed to order yeah or the box around the thing that has the highest price which anchors you to find the second highest price and that's the thing you're supposed to order and they know that and it's a it's a common practice that's been for deck for centuries but i say centuries presuming it's true but at least for decades right and this is this is really important on beer menus and wine menus is to anchor people and to give them sort of behavioral psychology clues along the way about what they're supposed to order to minimize their decision-making fatigue. And we do that at Bungalow. Sorry if it sounds techie, but, you know. You don't have to You are who you are. <laughs> I did study lots of this shit in my life. But, but secondarily, um, uh, because you actually just want them to have a good experience, right? Like what I desperately wanted when I got into this was, was to make people happy. And to make them happy with a cool thing, to make them say, holy shit, I want another sip of that. Like, like it wasn't about food. We didn't have any food at the beginning. We were making beer. And it was, it, it came, the, this, in, this interest in this industry was like when I had the first, when I had Honker's Ale at 16, when I was 16 years old, and I had a Honker's Ale when my, like, that's what I stole from my neighbor's garage, and my friends stole Ice House, and I had a Honker's Ale and was just like, after a year or a, a year of Ice Houses, I was just blown away by that beer. And I just couldn't believe it. And I was so hammered and, you know, because it was so much stronger and it was just so effing delicious. And then I was like, what else is like this out there? Like, I'll try this, uh, you know, uh, Grolsch just because it looks different. Not because I knew anything about Grolsch or German brewing or anything at all. It was just like, this isn't Miller Lite or Bud Light and I'm going to try Grolsch today. Then I'm going to try St. Pauli Girl. It was just whatever was different, I yeah, went after it. that's kind of how I went too. It's and like, oh, this is different. This and, isn't the same packaging. Yeah. And, that's yeah. All, and it was still a jewel, you know, or whatever. Right, right. And, it, and, it, and, and what was sort of impactful about, I mean, or what maybe continues to be um, impactful about this is you're looking for um, some kind of different experience and, um, you know, uh, over and over again, you'll, you'll find yourself chasing um, 
you'll find yourself chasing that. But if you can guide someone to that, yeah, um, and get make them maybe you make try to find a way to make them feel like they're still chasing it, so they've discovered it. But you're you're guaranteeing that they're gonna walk away saying, "I got to go back there," or like, "I got to write them an email," or "I got to like." Follow them on Instagram for the next time they do something that I've never heard of. That's like that's how you grow a customer base, and that's how you that's how you grow interest in this special thing that we're all trying to do. You want to make icebergs, right? Where someone can just like sit on the top of this thing and only know it and be like, "This is enjoyable. This is cool, right?" For, yeah. for a pun, like. Yeah. But then if they drill into it, they're like, "Oh, there's so much more in here. Right. Like there's there's this beer tastes good is is the the base layer. Like I want people to enjoy the beer if they never want, thought about beer before in their totally, life. Totally. And then every layer deeper they want to go, there's some sort of meaning like that you because like we obsess about this stuff. I think yeah. about yeah. making beer all day, every day. Yeah. And how to do it better yeah. and so it's my job to layer in all these like anyone who wants to go as deep as possible into the beer and get to the final bottom point of like there's like meaning built like into this that it's like meant to be a local product that sustains the local agriculture sustains local economies in the best way possible uh it, it uses all these techniques that make the beer drier which actually kind of makes it makes it a little healthier maybe it's just yeah. alive cultures of yeast that are still in it like it's I want, but you don't need that to enjoy it. But if you sit on there and you bob up and down on the iceberg, you're like, this is pretty cool. Like that, that's the, how it starts. I'll reward, I'll, I'll try to shut up about this, but I'll, I, I want to like, don't. I want to, uh, I want to give one person credit, a guy named Colin Moody, who said mm-hmm. to me selling, uh, selling wine to me a few years back, um, this wine re- doesn't require focus or attention, but it rewards it. And that's a great, mm-hmm. those two are words I've, kept in my head forever because I was like, wow, dude, you just said what I think defines our company for 13 years. Yeah. Well, at the time it was, 11. that's all good art too. It was right? like, yeah, exactly. It doesn't require it. It makes you happy. If you don't need to pay attention, you don't need to pay super close attention and know everything about this, but, and you're happy if you're one of those people. But if, if you do d- dig down deeper, you're so much happier. You're yeah. You're all the best stuff happy. is exactly that. I've, I've had a much more, uh, convoluted way of, of, of saying it, but yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. If you just want to enjoy it for what it is, that's uh, it's it's great at it. The best ones are the best at both, and yeah, there's only totally, a few of them. That's totally. like when you it's get rare. like the Allagash Whites of the world, totally. True. You know, totally. when they're, they're just the best at it both. Probably wasn't the one that Colin was selling me, but it doesn't right. matter. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> the, no, the phrase is great, perfect. Yeah, but, and to tie it back, like that doesn't exist for. Seltzer does like White Claw doesn't have that. No, like does not even like High Noon, which is like it doesn't have that. Like so, like it will it be interesting to see what how the people that like that came in here that were that we started this conversation talking about that right. just does it get sodas. premiumized? Does it get you know people that can like really get into it, or is it just do they just they jump it? onto the next big thing? Or and, yeah, and maybe is, they do. Are they, just, I, are they just hopping from one? Seems like teas, like alcoholic teas, are are starting to like, pop they, off ben, again. Ben being big, dude. Like they, the, right. Sam Adams makes more twisted, has made more twisted tea than beer for a long time. Right. Our skateboarder getting staff twisted, have been dude. super into twisted teas, getting tattoos of twisted teas. Right, but but that's only been in lot. the past what, like two? Yeah, three well, years? We're going back three or four. Yeah, yeah but, but it's okay. starting funny, then dude. and then since then, it's also just funny. Like right. there's but part of part been of been around for a long time. Of course, and like somehow these guys are getting tattoos of it three years ago. Right, they're like really suddenly into it, and it's a huge point of pride. They got guys we love who worked for us for a long time. But like, you're what, gonna have to cover what, that, that up that, when you're on the a, floor, bud. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but is it gonna be a thing that that goes and goes, or is it just no? I don't it's a think moment. so, right? And, no. I, and and I think High Noon and all this stuff we're talking about is the same thing. It's like 
they're going to find their own thing that we found in craft beer. And it might not be an alcoholic beverage, or it might be, but they're going to find a localized experienced experience that's whether whether it's agricultural based or not food based or not and food and beverage based or not they have to find that right because they're it's, it's just like twisted tea isn't gonna isn't yeah. gonna gratify their soul i mean i guess localized <laughs> is the only thing i would maybe push back on i think maybe they need to have a localized outlet for it but i don't know if it needs to be locally produced because when i was young and even now i mean there is something about like grass is always greener on the other side like it's cool that you know, Mickelhenny's all the way out there in San Diego. It's cool that that uh, Hill Farmstead and and Suarez are so far away, and Scratch is in the middle of nowhere. I mean, that has always been interesting uh, to me, uh, and it goes in the whiskey world as well. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, locally produced. I don't. Know. I mean, I mean, I'm with you, except for the fact that the only reason I, I mean, I agree with that from a personal standpoint. I'm also playing, doing a little bit of. Devil's advocate, but I think, yeah. yeah. Well, I think the 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 other side of that is it goes just goes back to what we were talking about earlier with it, which is that um, I think localized becomes more important actually, only because they production have so localized. much a production, everything about the local side from production yeah. all the way to service and and, and yeah, sales, that I only agree. because yeah. everything else in their lives is so unlocalized and will increasingly become that. There's no right. we're not we're not backtracking on free trade agreements like. We, we, things will be increasingly made in the cheapest place they can be made, and everyone's life will, enti- will be entirely international for the rest of time, it, you know, until some massive re- revolution happens, like mm-hmm. international revolution happens. But like, like the if Matrix. That, if, yeah, exactly. If that ever happens, there, there needs to be some connection to your neighbors, and like this is such a ripe place for it, is the food. And, the thing that you do on a day-to-day basis yeah. is, your da- is your food and your beverage. And yeah. I, I, that, that's, that's the devil's advocate back, which I don't obviously know if I wonder turn in that direction. The kind of arcane legal structures that surround beer in the United States help local I think producers. That like, I think uh, that like. Amazon doesn't really sell alcohol that much, like which is mm-hmm. crazy because they could probably make a bunch of money. It seems like it's not worth the hassle to them. The crazy thing was it was the laws were written kind of intending for them to be right. difficult and convoluted and frustrating and make you want to bang your head because in one county it's this way and in one state it's that way and, and stuff like that. Right. They gave it in the state's hands just to make it you're a, a little bit guy. convoluted. No, I'm just saying that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just messing with you. Sorry. Yeah, um, but I'm I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, whatever yeah. you right. agree. Yeah, whatever you think about state rights, I guess I'm agreeing. With you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, also a state rights. <laughs> yeah, big state rights guy. I'm like a couple state yeah. rights guy. So, um, but but I th- I think it has helped uh, alcohol. Yeah, I think it's unquestionably, a great, it's like, a quite point. a bit, quite a bit. And I think it will continue to. Like I don't like I don't. Unless it gets broken down, I mean, the three tiers are getting chipped away at. Sure, and but but you know, food is less affected by that kind of infrastructure, legal infrastructure. Yeah, food is even more localized in in the sense that we're using the term than than alcohol. It seems bifurcated, though. Like the world that we exist in is certainly more localized, and we care about it, but there's also more processed food and yeah i think we're heading like more towards than there's ever rebirth been. of wonder bread is like what i see like people it's just like flows right? oh because wonder bread was seen as like high tech you yeah, know right and and i think that's what people see now oh this is high tech 
bread. This is or greens, you know, right? or, or whatever, greens, whatever or, it is. But yeah. it's like <laughs> not is, better for you, and it's going to be seen as not better for you. But it's got some sort of thing happening to it, or maybe it's better because it's you know got really cute packaging and it's delivered right to you once a month and it's on a subscription service. I, I don't know, but I, mean, I, I do think, think there's more of yeah. this like bullshit shown as superior when it's it's not i mean getting back to this this wellness guru guy it ended up being an ad because he's like what's a much better option is and he pulled up like you know wellness pops or something like that and i went on their site because i was really pissed off at this point and you bought a bunch of them and i bought delicious and they're great (laughs) and that person was me and now this is a sponsored ad (laughs) no i looked at the ingredients and it had like you know, natural flavoring. And I was like, they're using, <laughs> they're using diacetyl too. They're using the same That's amazing. Butter flavored yeah. pops. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, but you know, you say all this and I actually, I agree with you because we see it in the people selling us stuff to sell in our restaurant, trying to sell us stuff to sell in our restaurant, which they don't get very far, but, but, um, you see green city market just getting having huge every year. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And, Logan Square Market getting bigger and bigger and yeah. bigger, and people getting more and more into farmers markets. So on the one hand, you, you know people are into subscription services and people are into like techie foods, and uh, they want to get like a microgreen like you know pouch to put in. Like sure. it lasts them like forty days, and they like have an insane like amount of protein in their bodies, and they're like super stoked to tell Joe Rogan about it. But at the same <laughs> time, you get. That you see, like Green City Market blowing up, just getting bigger and bigger, and all over TikTok, you know. So, like, I don't know what that means if there's a bifurcation in yeah. the next generation, or if it's that you you see people interested in both sides of this story, which is health and wellness and economic and climate and sustainability. <laughs> yeah, well, well, like that's what I what well, sustainability, right? It's like what can be delivered to me the in the most efficient way. So that it's like it actually does scratch the climate sustainability ish, itch, but it also is about laziness. <laughs> in the end, it's about laziness. Like I, I don't, I want to sit in my house and consume um, a pro climate agenda and or um, and local a local or be, agenda or and be never placated leave my house. that I. I am. also love Taylor Swift, even yeah, though I'm feeling. not. It's I the feeling. Feel like I am exactly. It's like the feeling of, of local craft beer and local farms and in my food choices and all my day to day choices. But whether it's true or not doesn't matter. And I think you'll see. Yes. yes. But but it, it only matters in that like half of their life has to actually feel real and half of it or whatever percent seventy five percent of it has to feel fa- can feel fake as long as twenty five percent of it feels real. Whatever the case, you sure. probably increasingly see this and yeah. that'll that'll affect. And the you see whole it all the time. I mean, industry. you see ads from giant companies like Xfinity like glorifying doing nothing like saying like that they make these terrible things where it's like now you can stay in and and not do anything and get this order and and it's a video of four of a family of four sitting on a sofa all on separate devices smiling and have like yeah. food delivered to them, and I was like, "That is," right, and it's kitchen. not ironic. Yeah. It's not ironic, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's like horrifying to me that you have just like yeah. four people completely independent." But that's what's happening, and it's like um, 
what's it called? Like uh, how the, a lot of uh, uh, car ads are really meant for people who've already bought the car to feel good about their purchase. Mm. It's made for people to feel good about their lifestyle to mm-hmm. keep doing it mm-hmm. is the way I see it. And it's like, that's what farmers markets, they don't have that amount of marketing might behind them as Xfinity oh, yeah. and Amazon no. and all these people just telling them like, no man, just like it's easier for us to just, it's better for, it's better if it's just sent to you and you sit on your sofa. You're a good that's person. That's the good, good person. If you're you a good that. person if you do that. And it's like, that's what just terrifies me. But yeah. That's the that se- that 75, <laughs> that's a, that's a 75 25 breakdown yeah, right yeah, there, yeah. which is we're okay. We're, we feel okay because we're pursuing the 25%. But the truth is, we need to find a way to live with the 75%. And actually, this, we need to, we only we survive, we can survive as right. if we know how to talk to the 75% sure. too. I mean, hey, at least the 0.0001% that the, 75% look to are actually out there doing yeah. stuff, making them feel bad. Podcast. That's right. <laughs> like, if that makes sense. No, but like, at least I think it is a positive that the, the 75% look towards the 0.001% of the people who are actually doing it. The pizza guy, yeah. and I should know his name because he's like the most famous person. Oh, yeah. What's Came his, to our place. Yeah, what's his name? Portnoy. Portnoy. Yeah. Like, Dave, Dave. Everyone Dave. sits there Portnoy. and watches him on TikTok, but. That MFR is the one who's actually going to all the pizza places and trying all the pizza places and, a ton and of people, giving all the pizza places. A ton of people get all their, their their sort of psychic utility from watching him do that. They don't need to go try anything. They now know how to talk to their friends about pizza and what's good in this city and that city and the other city. That's messed up. They don't up, need dude. to actually go so ever. So I'm wrong. They're, we're they already don't in then, the matrix. Well, no, like, no, oh, no, no. I want to. No, no, no. We saw. We definitely saw a business an increase in business shortly after he came for a couple of weeks, and you know, it's, it, but it always was a big day. I don't think you know he had an effect, but like the but but I think it's like the classic thing where like. Um, this is probably like a effing Freakonomics or one of those guys, whatever, yeah. whatever the hell else their books tipping point. Those guys, mm-hmm. but like the behavioral guys were like poppy for a while. They all talked about this thing where like if you said you were going to do X, you already got like eighty yeah. percent of the, the benefit of having done X, and you you're fine not doing it. You don't need to <laughs> right. follow you through with the thing like you, you said you were going right. to do because you you said it out loud. It's and like this Zoolander. is what people who watch yeah. who watch Portnoy and they're like. Man, that fucking place looks great. Anyway, all right, eight point yeah. four. Ah, time for that's bed. That's probably the best yeah. pizza yeah. I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. right. and then you're like, yeah. I guess yeah. I'll go to bed now, and yeah. tomorrow I'll wake up and go back to the office. That and is like Zoolander. He's like, just thinking about helping those kids is the most rewarding experience. Exactly. Of my exactly. Life. <laughs> and then like, and then like one month, once a month, they go out with their friends and they get to say, best tavern pizza in Chicago is. Is Uncle is Uncle Kim second best is Middlebrow and that's what I know and like no one no Uncle Kim's cures for three extra days you know it's just Kim's uncle God damn it and anyway you know what I'm Did talking about yeah, yeah. but right, but right. The, but you know this kind of shit this is what people get off on that's all they needed they just need someone to tell them what to think and and rank it and rank how they how they be can ranked. rank it and like but but it's okay because there are still the twenty five percent who. Keep all, our, all of our businesses businesses here alive, right. including Siebel, right? Because these are the people who are going out and 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 keeping my business and and Chris's business alive and Mike's business alive, and these are the people who are working for us and 
you know, it's like it's it's the twenty five percent that's kind of critical to us. Seventy five percent actually helps the twenty five percent keep doing what they're doing because the twenty five percent sees themselves as different from the seventy five percent. They right. need to go out. They better go out and they better consume this thing and they better actually have a real experience so they can actually talk about it. And f this person living in the suburbs who doesn't know anything about anything and is is in the in the mere seventy five percent. Right, right, and just has the same exact opinions as a million other people who also watch Dave Portnoy. Totally. Yeah. yeah. All right. You got to get him to come have your tavern, your uh, You know what we cafeteria should, oh, should have on is Colin from Meeting House because that For sure. ha- have, has, I've never heard of a bar get more just like, it, it just be more in the zeitgeist of the beer community ever than Meeting House. Without in, doing in Philadelphia. any thing yet yeah and but that said they so fast they're on the east so much so fast they're on the east coast huge difference huge difference it it actually in philadelphia i know but but philadelphia is so on in right right now now, man and also it's east coast and also coming from where tired hands and yeah tired hands and 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 keller right pr sort of does does the work you don't even need a pr person at that point so not not to not to right. say you shouldn't get them on here to say what the hell's going on. But That's also, kind of what I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Pete hates what is happening? <laughs> no, man, I haven't. I'm <laughs> well, stoked I about them. it. I asked I'm him. Kidding. I was like, people were talking Obviously. about you in yeah, Chicago. I'm stoked and about like, it. He was like, what? Yeah. They well, are? honestly, Lee like, Monster, yes. Lee McComb, yeah. look at Lee McComb, he, he, he was telling me about him, and I looked him up, and I was like, this place looks effing amazing. Yeah. I got to get out there. Yeah. Carl Grantstrom from Omnipoyo last week dropped Meeting House's name, and I was like, That's just got to be. That's had to have been just a straight Keith Shore, like, other art guy, whatever. Yeah, the yeah, but still, is, it's it's like in the international beer zeitgeist, you know. Yeah, and yeah. it's just like a little, it's a it's a restaurant with some with some house beers. Yeah, which is I mean, actually the it's I, the future of effing brew pubs, man. It's like three beers. It's what you need, and according to the New York Times. And Your Bible. We'll probably come it, back it, a little bit. Absolutely, that, right? my Bible. It's all a pendulum. It's all a pendulum, and then soon we'll need thirty, and then we'll need three again. I agree. Right? I agree. And one hundred percent with the pendulum. It yeah. just goes well, like this. Yeah. Because if they had that, that must suck because they suck. I'm the new generation. That's right. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. Dun, dun, oh, yeah? Pale? Yeah. Dun, dun, We're going to do pale one, pale two, pale 12. Exactly. We were just there. Yeah. We, we were there a couple of years ago, except yeah. it was IPA instead yeah, of. That's uh, right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Like All right. <laughs> Let's Good talk, guys. I think it's time to, <laughs> to get out of here. Oh, it's time to get out of here. Um, so, uh, well, is there anything uh, that you would like to say before we, we leave, Mike? No, thank you, everyone, for listening, and thank you, uh, Keith and Pete, for coming on. A pleasure. Yeah, pleasure. Keith, anything you would like to say before Absolutely we leave? Absolutely nothing. Oh, okay. Taking the Jerry Nelson approach. <laughs> All right. Jerry Nelson would have just said nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Just, just sat there in quiet. silence. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, what do I mean? I would say yeah. try as was brewing. All right. Best say sound in the city, the country. You, okay. Um, there you Top are. two, at least. Yeah. Um, middle bro. I will say next week. Oh, first, I want to thank uh, our guests, uh, Pete Turnus. Is that right? That's okay. right. Yeah. And Nailed it. Keith uh, Lemke. Lemks. Lemks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and you, Mike. And, and I want to thank Surge. you, Chris and Serge. Oh, yeah. thanks. thanks, you guys. Next too. week, we're going to have. Uh, People are going to be excited. It's our most requested repeat show. It's Smoking the Bandit 
revisited. Yes, yes, <laughs> by far our our best performing show of all time. No, it is uh, Jeopardy. We're redoing Jeopardy. See if I can. Um, I'm returning champ. Yeah. So we'll see if I can keep that. This game was rigged. <laughs> hey, we still have uh, the same uh, Quizmaster or Alex Trebek or whatever. Oh, you your have. employee is the Quizmaster and you won. I wonder how that works out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. He knows how to keep his job. That's right. Um, As he should. Good job. No, Steven no. did a great job. So it'll, it'll be fun. It really so uh, it, was a lot of, it was a lot of fun last time. So we'll be doing that. And um, I don't have anything else and to Shana say. And Shana will be the guest, right? Shana will be uh, the contestant, I think is the t- word you were looking for. Sure. Um, but good times. Well, we're all contestants. Great, great conversations. And uh, I think that's about it. We'll see everyone else next week. Until then, so long. Remember this is what we wanted. Remember this is what we said. To never be heard seen from again, 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 again. Remember this is what we wanted Remember this is what we said To never be heard seen from again Again, again, again Remember this is what we wanted Remember this is what we said To never be heard seen from again Again, again